Hi, my name is Gary Weber, and I'm the pastor at Southside Baptist Church, and I want to thank you for listening to today's podcast. I know many of you listen on a regular basis, or maybe some of you are just joining us for the first time as churches move to online, but we want to give all of you an opportunity to support the ministry here at Southside Baptist Church, whether that's in our physical campus or right here through the virtual campus in the ministry of the podcast and the online services. You can contribute by going to ssbc.org and clicking the Give tab. There you can make a one-time gift or a recurring gift, and anything you can do would be greatly appreciated. Hey, we hope you're doing well. We'd love to hear from you. Enjoy today's message. Hey, guys. My name is uh, Darren Sides. I'm one of the associate pastors here. And uh, I I like that video. Um, So the video is about offering. It's um, the idea of what that is. But really, I like that video because it's connecting the idea of the offering back to a connection over our faith. I mean, even there at the end, it's connecting this idea of the offering back to uh, the sacrifice that God had as he sacrificed Jesus as firstborn. And I think that that's the implication as we tie into um, the message today is this idea of what does sacrifice really look like? What is our response to um, this idea and this calling that God has given each of us after we have accepted him and are in a relationship with him? What does that look like? And even the last verse of the song we just sang says, Bear your cross as you wait for the crown. Tell the world of the treasures you've found. It's that idea that you're telling them as an act of worship. And so what does that look like? What does this worship and the relationship with God look like in all avenues of our life? So today we're touching into that same thing as we look at the book of Romans. So if you have a Bible, you're in turn to the book of Romans. But our theme is really looking at this idea of missions. Um, So at seminary, you kind of get specialized in a whole bunch of random stuff. Um, And so you start specializing in areas uh, fairly early on in seminary. And so the things that I specialized in uh, were missions, uh, groups, and education. So how do we educate people inside the church? Um, sorry, and how do we preach? Um, I said missions. That was a lie. Uh, missions was the thing that I took one single class on. So, and for you to understand seminary degrees, it's like 90 credit hours. Like, I think my wife's doctoral degree was somewhere around 90. Um, and so, um, you come out with 90 credit hours, and three of which, I think, um, were the only ones that I actually did focused on missions. And so when 2020 hit, I started taking on this idea of missions from the perspective of groups um, without really ever focusing on that before in my life. And I think it's produced some really interesting things within me personally, and that's what I'm going to talk to you guys about today is what does this mean practically for us as a church as we look at missions as a whole? Because when we started doing this, I didn't enter in by saying, what is every other church doing for missions? Instead, I really wanted to focus in on uh, what does missions mean at Southside. And I'm appreciative of the things that we've done coming out of COVID at Southside as a church in missions for this year. This week, I did some data mining because that is something I absolutely love doing. Like, that is a true story. I love mining data. Um, And so as a church, I started mining data. So we have two offerings we we do, right? We have our, our offering for our offertory budget, um, our operating budget. And then we have an offering for invested. And invested is that idea that it's everything above it. It's where missions comes out of. Um, it's really where even some of our capital 
uh, fund, funding for uh, improvements. So if you're on the second floor, you saw um, some of the uh, molding being taken down off one of the walls because we're going to make that wall smoother. Um, even some changes we're looking to make in the sanctuary are all things coming out of the invested line. And so as a church, I want to say, okay, well, what are we doing out of both of these budgets for missions? And as a church, we give over $166,000 in 2021 to local, domestic, and international mission initiatives and organizations. So it's $166,000 that you, Southside Baptist Church, is giving to things that are not necessarily us. Um, and that is just incredible. It's incredible in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of, of just fears worldwide, that you guys um, trust God first and foremost, trust us as the pastors in terms of um, overseeing and trying to steer some of this, trust our trustees to administer this, uh, trust our deacons in terms of fulfilling this through our groups. You have all that trust to give $166,000 towards missions over the course of 2021. And I love the fact that even um, after this pandemic, one of the last things we did at a SALT meeting, which is our leadership, we all meet right before the pandemic, is we were looking in um, and we were saying we want every group to partner with some mission out there. And coming out of the pandemic, that goal has not ceased. And so even this week, we're going to see that to where we have two different groups. There's a Thursday men's group that is helping to partner with a... Um, with a World Refugee Day uh, for Lutheran Social Services, kind of helping to spearhead this. And so that men's group is going to go. They're going to set up bounce houses and have fun with refugee families. Um, and so that will happen um, this Saturday. And at the same time that is happening, um, I will be, and there's a group that's going to be focused on um, how, do, how are we going to do Super Dad Derby in the park. So I'm really excited for this. I'm just going to uh, brag on this. This is Margaret's idea, and I loved it. Um, I love it because uh, my kid loves cars, like this little two-and-a-half-year-old two um, absolutely loves cars. He loves cars so much that he stole one of our preschool cars um, and brought it home. And then I said, where did you get that? Because uh, I didn't buy that for you. And he said, I don't know. And I said, I think, think you do. I said, did that come from church? He said, yeah. He said, but it's my car. And I said, that's called stealing. Um, so... Anyway, but he loves cars so much that he steals from the church. Um, and so we are going to do a Super Dad Derby. It'll be in the square. So if you have a kid that likes cars, if you, for some reason, like cars, we're going to be racing Pinewood Derby cars. If you go on the website, you can see a form for that. We have Pinewood Derby wedges for you. Um, you could even make a Pinewood Derby car at the event. It's just not going to win because it will just be a wedge of a block. And I guarantee you that is not going to win. So... Um, so feel free to even just come and show up. So that's going to be from 9 uh, to 11. Heyday, the toy store on the square, is going to sell those cars for us as well. They are selling those cars right now. Um, so even if you leave here, you could go to Heyday. They have, um, I know, nine cars available right now over there. Um, and if you just have one that you've already made, bring that. So if you have some winning Pinewood Derby car that you made when you were like five, um, bring that thing to this. There's my selfless plug for uh, Super Dad Derby Day, but it's the fact that as a church, we're engaging in these missions initiatives. And yeah, I do think that taking over the park and working with um, the San Marco Bookstore, working with Heyday, working with the San Marco Merchants is missions. It's a different kind of missions. Why? Because I'm not looking at it and saying, okay, what is missions usually, how is that usually done as a church? I'm saying, how is missions done organically through you? and organically through our small groups. 
Like, what speaks to you with missions? And how do we go about using these relationships and carrying them on more? Because I do believe that our involvement as a church is motivated by the Great Commission. And it's motivated to go out and to teach and to make disciples and baptize people. That is definitely a motivation, and I think our strategy is focused on that. Still, a question as I've looked at what is missions has burrowed into my uh, soul as we keep doing this. And my question is just this idea that supporting missions, initiatives, and organizations is a step towards making a disciple. But is it truly accomplishing that total goal of making a disciple? Meaning, does showing up at World Refugee Day simply make disciples there? Does going out into the square for Super Dad Derby make a disciple at that event? And I'm not saying we need to stand up and we need to preach at every event we do. That's not at all what I'm saying. I'm saying those events are good starts to missions. But what practically is missions? What practically does it mean for us to make a disciple? What practically does it mean for us to bear our cross? What practically does it mean for us to love our neighbor? So that's really what this is looking at. Good intentions, a good strategy, and a good start is important at accomplishing any goal, but that alone does not guarantee success in a strategy. Because I don't know about you, but your life may be full of good starts and bad endings. Right? You may be good at really you may be good at starting a lot of things, but you may be really bad at ending it. And so just a few examples of that. Um, I don't know how many of y'all like international food. I love trying international food, right? But international food sometimes for me is a good start with a bad ending. Like that is what that is. Um, I don't know how many of y'all are, like, you may be the best dater in the world before you got married, hopefully not after you're married, unless it's with your wife, um, but, um, but here you are, and uh, you had a great first date, but, like, the relationships always blew up, right? Good start, bad ending. Maybe you had a great time at your job for the first month, the first year, um, but it was just a bad ending to that job as it went on. Right, and, um, and this one speaks very closely to my heart. Um, your team wins the very first game of the year and goes on to lose the next 15. Right, good starts and bad endings. And maybe if you're in this room, it may even be a thing to where you grew up in a church, right? And you grew up in a church. You may even have gone all the way through high school with a good church background, but ultimately, that faith means nothing to you now. So even on the faith level, it was a good start, but it's just a bad ending right now. And so that, that's the point of today's message, is really looking at this whole process. How do we have good starts? How do we have good endings? And I think sometimes the start and the ending isn't always what we expect for it to be. So we're coming out of Romans. It's Romans chapter 9. If you have your Bible, uh, go ahead and turn there. And the book of Romans is an interesting um, epistle written by Paul. So Paul wrote the book of Romans uh, to the Romans. Uh, Paul had not been to Rome yet when he wrote this book. Uh, he wrote this book, and then he was going to go back to Jerusalem to return an offering, and then his goal was to go to Rome and later to Spain. That was Paul's whole goal um, in his ministry life. And so he writes the book of Romans, and then he gives it to a lady named Phoebe. And Gary mentioned that, I think, last week. 
of how Phoebe then carries the book of Romans to the city of Rome and preaches this entire book of Romans to the church at Rome. And so what was Paul trying to tackle with the book of Romans? Well, Rome um, is not a Jewish city. Rome was the capital of the Roman government. It was a western city. Jerusalem was a very eastern city. So he is writing to a completely different culture. He's writing to a completely different group of people. But in Rome were a group of Jews as well who were starting to believe. But then there were also a bunch of other Jews. So Rome was just this eclectic city of a bunch of things going on at one time. And Paul's trying to write to these groups of Romans, trying to talk to them about what is the faith. What does it mean to be a Christ follower? And then right around chapter 9, we end up seeing something different happen um, in that Paul then starts talking about, um, in particular, why Jews don't believe. So chapter 9 and chapter 10 are really focusing um, on this idea of Jews and why Jews have not believed in Christ. And where's Paul's personal reaction to this? Um, kind of if you're, if you're a Gentile wanting to know why do Gentiles believe, that's kind of the beginning section of Romans for all people. And then he's nailing in on this idea of Jews in particular. And so he's speaking into a world full of tension. It's a world full of tension in terms of how do we now deal with the gender issues that are there. It's that idea of glass ceilings. It's a Roman city that's full of racial um, division and racial separation. And now it's a world full with even religious separation and what's going on even within the Jews. So that's where we pick up with verse 30 of chapter 9. So chapter 9, verse 30. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it? That is a righteousness that is by faith, but that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. It's that idea. He's saying, look, the Jews um, sought to reach this. They had a good start with the law and a really bad ending right now. Why? Why did they have a bad ending? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it was based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. This is one of the biggest verses in this. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Here Paul is highlighting to all the foundation of the gospel is the person of Jesus Christ. That the person of Jesus Christ, not individual works, not individual actions, is the whole purpose for why we are saved. And it's the person of Jesus Christ that needs to be the focal point of all missions that we do. It's not by works, but it's completely focused on who Jesus Christ is. That he is the one who brings righteousness to all because Romans is huge on righteousness, and it's a main theme throughout the entire one. Paul's expressing his desire to preach the truth of God's word to those in Rome, and he's looking at it, and he's pointing strongly to this fact that he's not ashamed of this gospel, because it's the power to save everyone, but it is not a gospel about Paul. It's a, possible, it's a gospel fueled by Jesus Christ, his testimony, and then it's fueled by the Holy Spirit. And we're all at the same starting ground of that. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're all at the same starting ground for this faith in who God is. And so with this understanding, we're going to practically look at what is missions. And we're going to do this through an analogy. And so I don't know if any of y'all were good at this sport, and I'm sorry if you hate sports. Um, 
like, please forgive me. But we're going to talk about a sport to help us understand this analogy. So if you have like a worship guide and you got it coming in, it is going to be important um, today. This is interactive, but it's not interactive like I want you to talk to me. It's interactive like, um, like I want you to write things down. So FYI, like you may get something if you don't write some stuff down, but like you're going to miss some of the power here as I like convict you of your sins. So, um, so just FYI for how this is going to go. So we're going to do this through baseball. So um, so baseball is something that I was great at until they introduced this thing called a pitching machine. And I, I don't know if I was actually great at it or if I was just great at it in my head. So, um, so anyway, so baseball has a special place um, in my heart for something that I tried once and just stopped. Um, so as we're talking about good starts and bad endings, baseball is that. So why not use this as an analogy in the summer? So first base, what is first base in this idea of how do we live on mission? How do we engage the world with the gospel? How do we go out and we seek others? First base is prayer. So first base is prayer. Prayer has to be the first step of any movement of God. If we as a church are going to do missions well, if we as a church are going to reach the world well, if we as a church and if you as a Christian are going to reach your neighbors well, it has to begin with prayer. It's why Paul says in verse 10, um, or in verse 1 of chapter 10, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. So that word desire there is really interesting. So the word desire doesn't appear a lot in the Bible. And it's like this ultimate satisfaction. So what Paul is saying is that his ultimate satisfaction would have been for um, for these Jews to come to faith in who God is. It's that idea of meeting like exactly what the tax man demands for you to do. That's what the word is ultimately saying. So he's saying like for, for his desire to be met at the same way that the government will be met with your taxes would be if God would produce um, these Christians out of this Jewish nation. So his desire and his prayer is that can happen. So prayer is essential for this because prayer is the power of salvation. And what do I mean by that? I don't mean that prayer is a power that you can possess. Prayer is something where you can connect with the power behind salvation, and that power behind salvation is God. Prayer is a way for you and your spirit to talk to the Holy Spirit as a Christian who lives in you. And by that, you're having this conversation with God himself, who is the power at work behind salvation. It's by faith in God that we're saved, and it's by his Holy Spirit working in your life to convict you of sin, to work and to mold you into something else that you have a renewing of the mind. It's all something done by God, and prayer is essential because it helps to connect you to God. Now, how does that happen? First, I think prayer um, ultimately helps you to tune your hearts to God. So it's kind of like the guitars up here playing, and I'm sure he has a tuner somewhere around here. Um, and he has to tune himself to what the proper note sounds like so it doesn't sound off. And prayer is very similar to that, and that prayer helps to tune your heart to who God is. On top of that, prayer helps us to see people the way God sees people. So we just had a Discovering Southside this morning, and if you went to that Discovering Southside, um, one thing that kind of pops up that Gary will do when he teaches it is he talks about how we all have different conditions, but we all have equal, equal value. What I think prayer helps me do personally is it helps me peer past the condition that people are in, and it helps me see the value that God has for them. 
And that's that idea of tuning your heart. Is that it doesn't let you just see the surface, which I think our culture is so bent on just seeing the surface of everybody. But it's really trying to see deeper than that. And prayer helps give us those eyes and see people the way that God sees people. But I think also what prayer does is prayer helps us to ask God for co-laborers. So we pray to the Lord of the harvest that he can send us other people to help us with the harvest. Why? Because the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So what the harvest is doing, what we're doing when we're praying, is it's helping us to get in touch with the Holy Spirit, but also helping us beg God for more people to work alongside of us. So the first step of any ministry movement by God is going to be prayer. I do think we do this well as a church collectively. The second base is going to be presenting the gospel. And where does this pop up? It pops up shortly after prayer. What you see with Paul, um, and I'm going to skip some verses here, but in verse 8, it says, but what does it say? What does it say? Um, it's the law. It says, the word is near to you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. You see, we have to proclaim the gospel. Simply going out and doing social good is not completely everything we should do. See, it's kind of this idea that when we do good in the world, we are showing God's love to other people. But we have got to use words too, and that's the idea of special revelation. It's specific. Because that's something God did for us. Romans 1 and the beginning of Romans is all about kind of how God reveals himself in the world around us. But ultimately, God is revealed through the person of Jesus Christ. So inside of our missions, inside of your personal ministry, and inside of our collective ministry as a church, yes, we've got to do the practical. We've got to do the social stuff where we're engaging in good. But on top of that, we've got to get to second base, which is gospel presentation. We've got to present the gospel to other people. So what is third base? Third base is um, acceptance. It's personal acceptance. Now, here's the truth. We are commanded to go and to say. But this idea of personal acceptance isn't anything that you have actual power to do. It's all about that person and God. And God is working in people's lives to end up leading them to accept him. But it's on that person. So right after Paul talks about how... um, That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Verse 9 says this in chapter 10. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is the Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is one of my favorite passages talking about what do we have to believe to be saved. Uh, because I was like a good Southern Baptist. Like my, my dad was a preacher, so I grew up knowing all the like sayings of churchiness. And so I grew up knowing the ABCs of Christianity. Any of y'all like know that growing up? Like, I hear some noise, that means that some of y'all may. So, like, admit, you know, you admit your sins, you believe in Jesus, and you confess and commit uh, your life to who God is. Right? And that's great. And that is found here. It's a goal to, like, help you get there. But what I love about this, um, and I think a problem with me personally when I was trying to figure out my own salvation, is, like, I prayed the sinner's prayer, like, a dozen times. Like, I kept feeling like I was going to hell. Um, 
and so I just kept praying this prayer over and over again. And I kept getting focused on what am I supposed to say or what am I supposed to do instead of being focused on what is it that God really wants of me. And so when I read this verse 9 uh, through 13, what I'm really getting is that it's with the mouth one confesses and it's with the heart that one believes is this idea that it's your whole being, right? So it's your head and your mouth and kind of everything up here, and then it's your heart and everything down here. And it's both of those centered around one thought, and it's that Jesus is Lord. And that that's it. So it's, it's both things combined, Why is it not just your head? Because it's not just about mentally ascending to this point where I believe that Jesus was God. It's not about just a mental ascent. And it's not just about a heart feeling that Jesus is God, but it's about both of those together in one unified thought that Jesus is Lord. And that's that idea of what is personal acceptance. And then you get to home plate. And what is home plate? It's discipleship. Right after this, Paul says in verses 14 and 15, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So this is discipleship. And what is discipleship? I love because I think my title is officially Associate Pastor of Discipleship and Missions right now. Um, and I love that because it's a bunch of things that are really ambiguous. So it basically means that I just do whatever um, I'm told. <laughs> Scott's in this room. It's whatever I'm told. Um, it's not just whatever I feel like doing. Um, so, um, so just knowing this idea of what is discipleship. Well, discipleship is really not that ambiguous um, for us at a church. So at Discovering Southside, again, something we talk about is how discipleship is gather, grow, and go. What does that mean? It means we gather to worship God the Father. We grow in the power, or we grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, and we go in the power of the Holy Spirit. So you can gather through prayer, you gather through worship, you gather and focus on God. You grow in the knowledge um, of who Jesus is, so you can then say that out as you're going in the power of the Holy Spirit to all the world. Discipleship isn't just one of those three things. It's not just two of those three things. Discipleship is all three of those things and holding all of it in balance. So if you're in this room right now and you're like, well, I feel like I'm a disciple of Christ because I just go to a church service every week. I'll say that you're missing something about that if you're also not growing in some sort of community and you're going in the power of the Holy Spirit. If you're sitting here and you're saying, well, I grow in a group, and you wouldn't be sitting here saying this, Uh, I grow in a group and I go in the power of the Holy Spirit, but I just don't go to organized church then I would say you're still missing something because you're not gathering to worship God the Father somewhere. There's something about not forsaking the gathering of God's people. It's holding all three in balance. And so that is the goal, right? Because we start with prayer and we circle around to get them to discipleship because our goal is not just that people will just accept God, right? So I don't know much about baseball, but what I do know about baseball is um, because I play MLB the show sometimes, um, and I'm not good at it, um, is when you leave people on third base, it's not good. Right? Because when you leave people on third base, they never score. And if you don't score, you don't win. Right? And I am Neanderthalist enough to where I just always want to win. Okay? So, um, so as a church... My goal is not saying, how do we just leave people on third base? you got to bring people home. So we got to bring people to the point 
of discipleship, which brings us to the last part of the notes, which again, if you don't have notes, that's fantastic. Just go on notes on um, your iPhone and they're right there. So, um, so this is where heavy involvement comes in, right? Practice. What is the practice? How do we really put this into practical application? And I'm again going to use small ball baseball here. So first, you get them on base. Get people on base. I think one of the weaknesses of the American church, one of the weaknesses of churches, is that we aim for doubles and triples every time we approach the plate. Truth of baseball is that every time you approach the plate, the two of the least likely outcomes to happen is you're getting double or you're getting triple. But yet every time we approach the plate in terms of the church evangelism world, we're going to go and we're going to try and get people onto second or third base, and we've missed it at that point. Because we've skipped first base entirely, which is prayer. Prayer. And here's another thing about baseball, and Megan told me this um, after the first service as we're coming in here, is exactly 10 years ago, which now makes me feel old because I think this came out when I was in college, um, came out a movie called Moneyball, which is all about a baseball team that happened when I was born. So for those of you who knew the Oakland A's um, at the time when they were doing this, um, now you can feel even older, um, is, is Moneyball. And so what was Moneyball about? It was all about this idea that, um, that how you win a pennant, how you win a championship with limited amount of money is you go for people who are good at making contact and you just get people on base. And that's the first step for it. So don't swing for the fences every time, but get people on base. And some people are good at hitting home runs, but trying to get everybody good at getting on base. Get people on So how is your prayer life for others right now? Here's the thing for you to do in your notes, is I want you to write the two people that come first to your mind with this prompt. Who needs salvation in your life right now? Who needs to know Jesus in your life right now? Write those two names down. This is all going to build, too. So if you don't have it written down, um, you're just going to be lost by the time we get to the end of this. So... Who needs salvation? Now, here's the truth in a room like this. One of those people may be you. So if it is you, write your name down. Okay? Who needs salvation in your life right now? Write that down. It's all about prayer. And I'll challenge you, even if your name is on there and you feel like you need God, something that will revolutionize that thought is if you pray for yourself. You're like, God, I don't even know if you're real, but if you are, talk to me. Help me. Guide me. So how is your prayer life for others, in particular their salvation? Because it was big for Paul. It was his greatest desire and prayer for the Jews to come to know God. So who in your life are you praying for? And who's holding you accountable to those prayers? Because if there's one thing about me, it's that like I'm really good at starting and I'm bad at finishing and I have to build systems of accountability in my life to convict me of the fact that I need to do stuff. So who is keeping you accountable to the prayer for these people in your life? What systems have you created to help you pray for people? And that may be some reminder that you would just have on the corner of a window, on the corner of a wallet, on something to remind you, or it may be a person that's helping to say, how are you praying for other people's salvation today? So, number one, get them on. Number two, get them over. 
and get them over onto the other bases. How you win is you still get people home. So you got to get people from first base over. And so how do you do that? Um, you, you already told you, you guys, we don't have control over third base on people accepting God, but we do have control over second base, which is proclamation. So if you are a Christian in this room, your job is to share. Look again, verses 14 through 15. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless someone is sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Now again, Paul is writing this to a church that he did not establish, that he did not plant, that he did not start. He's writing it to a church where he's sending the letter with Phoebe to then preach it to the church. So imagine that this is a church without a true pastor, and this still applies to the church of Rome. Why am I saying that? Because a question bored into my mind, and I asked the deacons two weeks ago, a couple of deacons, and I said, who is in charge of discipleship in our church? Who is in charge of discipleship in our church? And we'll get to the answer to that in just a second. Before we get there, um, if you're a Christian in this world, your job is to share. So I want you to do something here. What I want you to do is under the name that you wrote, I want you to make a box, right? There's a box there. And then you're going to leave space next to that box, and I want you to write a date. So space, date, and that's under somebody's name. Why am I asking you to do that? Because that is the date in which you will share with that person about who Jesus is. Again, I've already told you guys, I need systems to hold me accountable. And oftentimes, I want to check something off when I do it. So that's the point of the box, is when that date happens, check it off. Why is the date important? The date is important because it's committing you to the fact that you will share by a certain point. And committing that, that you will do this. Now, if you're a non-Christian in this room and you wrote your name down, it's still important for you to write a box and a date. Why? Because I want for you, if you don't believe in who Jesus Christ is, to have a date where you're going to get on the boat or off the boat, where you're going to commit. Because I think one of the worst things to happen for people is for them to flirt around with the gospel and to never commit. Because that was Paul's biggest frustration with this church of Rome. Well, with the Jews entirely, is that the Jews have had millennia to flirt around with who God was. And instead of having a relationship with God, they made it all about works. And I'm telling you, if you're not a Christian and you hang around Christians enough, eventually it will become harder and harder for you to see who God is because what happens is you base your entire relationship with God around works and you have missed the truth of the gospel. So if you're in this room and you're not a Christian, set a date for when you're either going to commit or you're going to get away. And when I say get away, I mean flee. Now you're saying, why is a preacher telling me to run away from the church? Because I think there's something important about a point of commitment. And the analogy is going to be this, and the analogy is going to be my own wedding, right? Um, we have a wedding surge right now inside of our church, which is spectacular, um, but what I love about weddings is it is, a, it is a point of commitment, right? Even in my premarital counseling with people, I'll tell them, like, you 
You are not married yet. Why is that important? Because you can still run, right? Like you're flirting around, figuring out like, do I really, really want to commit my life to this person? And you can still run. And I love marriage ceremonies, right? Because, because what happens is like you date somebody, you think you want to get committed and you put a ring on them and then you set a date, right? The date's important. So, so people, if you're in the room and you don't have a date for your wedding set, but you have a ring on your finger, not good. Like, get out. Because, because you, you need to set a date for commitment where you're going to commit to something, right? And so set that date. And then what I love about marriage ceremonies is, like, guys have to sweat it out. Because from the beginning, the guy has to walk out on stage with the pastor and then just stand up there, right? And so, like, when I got married... Um, it was outside, and then the area where we were, there was like a glass view where I could like see Brandy's white dress, right? And so I could see her. But until she has walked that aisle and gotten to me, she can still run. So set a date. Set a date and, and think this through, but get to a point of commitment and then walk the aisle. Because here's the truth. God is waiting for you. And he will wait for you. He's all in on this commitment. He's all in so much that he died on a cross for it. So he's good for this commitment. He wants you to be good for it too. And so if you're a non-Christian in this room, I'd say set a date. Now I'll tell you, if you are a Christian in this room and you're talking to some non-Christians, something that would be good to do is like have that whole conversation I just had with you with them. Why? Because you're drawing people to a point of commitment in a culture where we live in a culture that tries to do everything but make us make commitments. Keeps us from making commitments all the time in our culture today. And so make people make a commitment to God. And it gives you a point to have another conversation with them. Because I did this with um, somebody, they're not at church today, but one of our church members, um, and what I did was he did not necessarily believe in Christ. And so I kept setting dates by which we would talk about his commitment to Christ. And then every time that date would come, it made a reminder for me that I had to meet with him. And then we already knew what we were going to talk about because we had agreed on it already. So if you're in this room and you're like, I hate sharing with people because it's just an awkward conversation. I'm telling you, when you talk to somebody and you say, I would love to meet with you just to commit this in the future. Can we just meet and talk about this again? The awkward part is already over. So then it's already there. So all that said, get them over. Get them over. Get them to second base, and you need to do that proclamation. But the last thing is get them home. And again, this is that question that I asked to those deacons. Who owns discipleship? The point of um, Romans 10, 14, and 15 is the point that everybody in this room's owns discipleship. It's not just the pastor. It's not just the deacons. Every single individual in this room owns discipleship. Even the non-Christians in this room own this idea of discipleship. Why? Why is that the case? Because the Bible from the very beginning, and again, I love that video that happened already, because from the very beginning, it's talking about the sacrifice of Cain and Abel, which ends up leading to the first murder that we have in the Bible. 
And why is that important? It's important because a message that I get from that first murder is the resounding fact of the question, am I my brother's keeper? And it's never truly answered directly, but it is answered through the entire Bible. And the answer is yes. You are your brother's keeper. You do have some sense of social responsibility and not just social responsibility, eternal responsibility for everybody around you. And that responsibility is to share the gospel with people. You have that responsibility to call people towards deeper discipleship with Christ. Paul, again here, Romans 14 and 15, is asking a whole bunch of questions that go unanswered because the answer is meant on the part of the reader. That you are to be the hands and the feet going out into the entire world and you are to carry that. And so are you carrying that level of discipleship to other people? And if you're a non-Christian in the room today, I'll tell you, it is your responsibility for your discipleship too. You can't blame not knowing God on the Christians who are around you. They may make it harder for you not to have faith in Christ. That is true. But ultimately, it is your decision to accept or reject Christ. And you've got to own the fact that you are making that decision. Again, this is not like a, a sermon that just makes me feel happy because it's all about the fact that you have got to have ownership of yourself and we have to have ownership of each other. Last week, Gary preached a sermon on, um, on the road to Jericho. And again, that whole thing is about how everybody is our neighbor. Yes, we do have responsibility for others. And we should gladly do it because of what Christ did for us because we were the naked bloody, naked, bloody guy on the road. And so we should reach out to other people. So now we're coming to the end. And, and the end of this is simply this. Under that person's name that you wrote down from the beginning, the truth is, is that the Holy Spirit drew that name in your mind. When I'm to ask a question of who needs God in your life right now, a name or two names came to your mind. And I'm just going to trust that the Holy Spirit is what brought that to you. And so when it comes to this idea of bring them home, write your name next to that. Because you were given that name, not me, not the guy next to you. You were given that name of that person. So will you own sharing the gospel with that individual? I want us to be a church that continues to be incarnational in our missional strategy. For us to go out and for us to do a Pinewood Derby and for us to go to a refugee thing. And I want for us to build relationships there where those relationships at these events is how we share God. It's not just from a mouthpiece and a microphone at the front. But ultimately, it should be done one-on-one, -on -one, individual on individual. And so will you share with them? The last point to this entire thing is this, that somebody in here, you right now may say, like, I need a relationship with God. And if that's you, um, I just want to challenge you to do uh, one of two things. First, on your, on your worship guide, there's a communication card. If you'd write on that and just say, I need to talk to somebody. We would love to talk to you and have a conversation with you. 
The other thing that you can do is you can text the letters IHD, it stands for I Have Decided, to 904-441-8650. And I'm saying to text that word IHD um, because you've decided that you need to follow Christ. What I love about that word um, and this whole thing that we did is I didn't know if it would work. But then in this room about two months ago is when we baptized Donald. And the whole reason that I found out about who Donald was was because he texted IHD. And truly, when I sat down with him, I'm like, man, I'm glad you're not going to kill me because I had no clue um, what I was about to walk into when I met with you because I don't even know who you are. So, um, so for you guys to know, um, text IHD because I would love to have a conversation with you about God. It doesn't matter if I know you or don't know you right now. What I want you to do is come to a place where you can get to third base. Every single Christian or every single person in this room can come to a place of personal acceptance. So if that's you right now, go ahead and fill that out. So, so that's it. The point of this message is not for us to necessarily do anything in this room, unless you don't know who Christ is. The point of this message is to do things outside of this wall. So how will you reach out to those who are around you? How will you engage those in your workplace, in your family, on your block, how will we at Southside Baptist Church do missions in 2021, in 2022, and 2023? What are we going to do? Let's pray. God, I love the blessings that you have given this church. God, that this is a church that loves you and loves the world. God, that collectively we give $166,000 to outside entities to reach the world. God, that's incredible. God, I pray that we as a people do not reach a place where we can rest on the laurels that we had a good start to doing missions around the world. But God, I pray that we can enjoy the crowns even of leading other people to you. Lord, that every individual in this room can encounter what it's like to have you speak through them in a conversation where they're leading a friend, a neighbor, a family member to Christ for the first time. Lord, because that helps transcend our worship. Our worship is not just based on theories or on education. Our worship is based on what you did in our lives personally. God, that that will fuel our group conversations because our group conversations are fueled by the fact that you are active in the city and you are active in our lives. And that that will then fuel us to go even further because we strive to have that relationship with you to where you are always speaking to us and we are always in a relationship with you. God, forgive us if we have reached a place as a group of Christians where we are numb to the reality and the call to lead other people to you. God, where we are numb to where our church existence is just to sing and just to talk about you. Because if that's all we are, Lord, then we have missed the plot. Then we may have had a good start but we're abandoned on third. Help us to be a church that makes disciples and equips those who do. 
praise things your name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Like what you just heard? Take a moment and subscribe. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Facebook, and YouTube. Just search SSBC Jacks. If you live in the Jacksonville area, we'd love to engage with you on Wednesdays or Sundays. You can find out about our service times, next-gen programming, and more at ssbc.org.